in the pattern podcast. Make left traffic, clear for the option. Minneapolis departure, Archer 641, Charlie, Charlie, 2000, climbing 3000. Line up and wait, 7 range, for my Alpha. Mark Tower, 172, Romeo Hotel, hold short on the 133, ready to take off. I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to the In the Pattern Podcast. This is episode 82. This is Chris, and I've got the whole gang tonight. We've got a uh, special guest. Michelle's along with us, and uh, and uh, we are excited because we're about mm, 40, no, 35-ish days away from Oshkosh. So we'll hope to get this uh, episode out right before Oshkosh and, uh, and get to see all you guys while we're out there. But for now, let's say hi to everybody. Mr. Conway, how are you doing tonight? Hello, hello. Doing good. Awesome. Awesome. Glad we can get this going. Brad and Michelle, how are you guys out there? You said you got a heat wave going, huh? We do. It's been 100 degrees here in Minneapolis. It's been toasty. It is 34 days, 10 hours, 55 minutes, and 24 seconds. But who's counting? Okay. All right. (laughs) The EAA website. That that sounds very official, I was going to say. Yeah, okay. Excellent. So... Well, well um, uh, Mark, how about you, bud? How you doing out there? I'm good. How's everybody doing out there? Awesome. Awesome. Uh, 100 degrees, yeah. We've been uh, fighting that out here in Phoenix, uh, as usual, for about 30 days now. But uh, luckily, we don't got the uh, humidity to go along with it. So, But uh, now it won't stop until October. So we got that going for us. Hopefully, uh, all you dads had a great uh, Father's Day weekend, which was this past weekend. Uh, I was out at the, the lake uh, with uh, the family yesterday. Did you guys do anything special? I thought the lake was going to boil. <laughs> it's, it, it is uh, slowly mm, what do you got? evaporating. Hopefully, yeah, we had a nice Father's Day. Uh, hopefully, they keep sending and, us water uh, from upstream, it was, though. It was also hot. It was, I think, 97 or 98 yesterday, but it's going to break today. Tonight, uh, probably yeah. with violent storms, and uh, should be at least upper 80s, low 90s tomorrow. Yeah, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need that to stay away for the next month or so, <laughs> not to get back there because I remember that one year. <laughs> <laughs> Last year was exciting. Oh, Oshkosh the weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Run for shelter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could do without that too. Exciting. That was, that was probably the most concerned I'd ever been when we got a an F four slash F five tornado warning, and I'm I'm wide awake at two or three in the morning to a to a uh, what do you call that the, the flashy light thing strobe light oh. strobe light lightning going off all around for like twenty minutes straight I, I'd never seen that before. Welcome to we the were, Upper Midwest. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't like the weather, just wait a few minutes, right? Yeah. Well, between that and, and hoping that everybody's plane stayed on the ground safe and not get sent to the next county. Mm-hmm. We were uh we were in uh, Richard and Cindy's uh, RV that uh, last year and um the RV was a rockin'. 
I'll tell you that much, and not for fun reasons, that's for sure. uh, (laughs) Yeah. It was, uh, and and we were just hoping everybody's uh, um, tents were still out there. I I expected some of them to be missing. Well, you know how that goes. End up in Fond du Lac or wherever. And uh, luckily, there was no, like, uh, I I didn't hear of any, like, major damage to aircraft or anything that was uh, out not that I can remember. I just know a lot of people, they departed the area before the big storm hit, so... Oh, yeah, I remember the ADSB pictures of, of the mass exodus from people uh, seeing the weather that was coming in. A lot of people went south to avoid it because it was coming in from, like, north northwest through Green Bay, and we, we caught just the, the edge of it, but it was pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it was actually a tornado at one point, right? I don't know if it touched ground or if it was just south of the field. Yeah, Yeah, just south of the field. I think they actually had a cyclone. So I think they were smart to get out. Oh, you know, I wonder what the the seaplane base is like at that point. Of course, you know, all the planes are, are, they're anchored, right? They're just, you know, they're sitting out there in the water. It's really sheltered. So it's it's pretty, pretty secure. Yeah, that area, that lagoon area, or whatever you want to call it, it is kind of surrounded with the trees and everything, so it probably isn't so bad, but oof. Anyways, yeah, hopefully we don't have any... It'd be nice to have a, you know, an Oshkosh with uh, just uh, mild, non-exciting weather. Would be great. A couple showers to cool it off, no big deal. We'll do without the, the big wins. <laughs> come come in, knock out the humidity a little bit, and move on. Yeah. I'll, I put my vote in for that, so we'll see how that goes. You could try in well, October one year. Yeah, I know, right? Then, <laughs> then all of a sudden we get snow for no reason, <laughs> for some freak accident, you know. So, Chris, are you going to have the trailer this year? Are you, are you flying up or what? No, um... As much as Richard and Cindy and my wife really enjoyed it, I you know it's it's such a haul from Phoenix to drag the trailer up there. So probably not this year, but they are interested in doing it more and more. So maybe an every other year thing or something. So especially with six six dollar gas. Ugh. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, I I'm trying to poo-poo a trip that we got going. We got coming in uh, uh, two weeks from now, basically the first uh, July Fourth weekend. We're supposed to uh, all everybody's grabbing the trailers and we're going uh, to Aztec, New Mexico, to some some RV park called Tico Time, and I'm like, really? This you know you know this is going to be over 500 bucks round trip and gas at a minimum, you know, and uh, some people's dropped out, but most everybody else is still in, so it's just me pissing and moaning about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then then in after Oshkosh, we got uh, Labor Day at the, what is that, the end of September or beginning? I forget. But uh, which we go to Camp Land on the Bay um, in San Diego. So I'll get to pay some of that California fuel prices on the way home. So looking forward to that one, too. Yeah, my wife's trying to plan a, uh, a trip later this year. I'm not sure exactly when, but just to Yosemite, we were actually going to go to, uh, we were going to go back to Pennsylvania. And prices are just ridiculous. Uh, airfare prices are ridiculous, and yeah, they're bumping up. Yeah, it's like a third more than normal, or, or the prices that she were getting were like 
three stops and which didn't normally exist, but but it, yeah, fly yourself there faster. Yeah, where uh, where are you going to, Mark? Uh, Yosemite. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been a bucket list for both of us. We've never, as long as we've lived in California, have never been yeah. to Yosemite. Yeah, it, is that much of a drive though? Really? Uh, for us, it's about uh, four, maybe five hours. Oh, okay. It's not too right. bad, but yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I'd like to see that too, actually. Um, so speaking of all that, uh, tying it back into aviation, I kind of wonder what that's going to mean for the 10,000-ish pilots that fly their own aircraft into OSH this year, if, if that's going to weigh in on, on on how many people's decision to actually make the flight, because some of these people are coming from really long distances, obviously. So, and, you know, 100 low lead, Avgas is... I don't know. I don't know what it is out, you know, all over the place, but it, it's high enough to where my local flight school, where I rent from, since March, has up the price by twenty five dollars an hour. Wow. So, uh, how, how are yeah, you guys? How are you guys six. handling it, Brad? At your at your it, club? Yeah, it's over six. I think it's about six fifteen or six twenty a gallon here, and I just flew the Saratoga to Arkansas and back. Mm. That was a the fill up on the in the you know at, at the southern end of the trip was four forty. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, we felt it. We felt that's, it. That's. Yeah, that's a little disgusting. But we were all around in the seventies for the. Oh wait, I forgot about John. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> John doesn't remember when fuel prices skyrocketed and lines to at the pumps and all that good stuff. <laughs> Hunter low lead is seven thirty two at my airport right now. Uh and that's not that's about in the middle for airports in the area. Of course Scottsdale hates uh hundred or hates uh prop pilots, so they're nine fifteen a gallon there, which is more expensive than Phoenix Sky Harbor. <laughs> they yeah, they, they they only want the jet pilots coming in, so Ugh. They've always been like that, though. So, but yeah, so 25. So now my 172 that was 135 an hour is now 160 an hour, um, which which is making it a lot less fun to go fly. Uh, I did get up uh, a couple a couple weeks ago and just knocked out my night currency because I was expecting to go start doing some night flights with some friends and stuff. So. I wanted to get current, and and then they hit us with the extra 15 bucks an hour uh, day before yesterday, and I was like, ugh, it, you know, it makes a difference. So I don't know, gotta do what you gotta do to stay current, but it just it just burns a little bit. It sure does. So yeah, I wonder, I wonder how many people uh, will you know scratch off this year because of uh, uh, you know fuel prices. I guess we will see once we. Uh, once we get there, so and maybe who knows? Maybe Osh will, you know, knowing how many people are coming and how much gas they end up serving, you know, maybe they'll do something special to help out. Yeah, because everything gets cheaper in Oshkosh during during air <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. You know, houses normally rent for like seventy five dollars a week there. <laughs> yeah. The old the old uh, VRBO opportunities are huge for this week for that week out there. I mean, yeah, 
I was considering doing it. We got we got uh, the Super Bowl coming near, uh, here pretty soon, so I I don't know if it's this year or next year, but uh, I've, I've even considered that. My wife don't really like the idea at all, but <laughs> and I don't blame her. So you know you got to you got to set up your house in such a way that you know people snoop around and stuff. That I don't know. It might be more more effort than what it's worth. Just bring the trailer and rent that out. There you go. That is a total idea. Just got to put it somewhere. Anywho, on to aviation. Hey, we've got uh, Michelle with us, our special guest, who is a student pilot. Michelle, um, how long have you been a student pilot now? So I started my lessons in August of 2021. Okay. All right. So we're, what are we at? Uh, 10, t- 10 months-ish, roughly? Yeah. I yeah. honestly thought I would have it done by now. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I think that's probably the first thing you learn when you start out is to stop expecting things. Um, yeah. It only it only it it only takes time and money. That's all. <laughs> it only takes time and money. Exactly. A lot of each. A lot of each, as it turns out. So. Yeah. And yeah. and a little bit of luck, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not just time, but the right timing. In a lot of cases, whether exactly. it be weather or uh, instructor availability or plane availability, whatever it goes. So, yeah. Um, are you are you uh, learning with an instructor out of uh, the, the, the same um, same um, club with Brad? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Um, yeah, which is really great because there's a number of CFIs that are also members of the club. So they really talk to each other and and kind of take turns occasionally helping each other's students so so I've been able to take you know a couple of lessons from other CFIs but I have a main one of course and um, he's a member of the club as well so I'm learning lots every time about you know the protocols for the club and you know the whys and wherefores and you know some of the maintenance things I'm a little bit closer to than maybe you would be if you were renting um and it's nice. It's just a really nice club environment. So I feel very lucky. Excellent. So, so Michelle, where are you in your training? Yeah, so I'm up just about 50 hours. In. Oh, good for you. Um, yeah, the bulk of those were in 2021. Actually, I was doing really, you know, really well, like kind of taking the advice to, you know, go off and, and try to try to really build each lesson as, as much as you can. And then we had just really horrible weather. Uh, I think I flown, I flew, let's see, I had eight lessons in January, which was about the pace that I had been doing. And then I think I've had 11 since January. Oh, wow. So it's just been a real slowdown. Yeah. Yeah. Since then. Um, so I, I don't know if that's the reason per se, but I haven't formally soloed yet. We are, mm-hmm. Looking to do that this Saturday, actually. If things go well, I have um, two lessons planned this week. Uh, but I also had two lessons planned last week, and they were canceled due to wind and extreme heat. So that's why I say sometimes you need a little bit of luck. <laughs> the weather's just fun. Yeah, you want to you want to pick some of the best weather ever to be solo, and I, you know, it's, you don't want to get up there and it be too too sporty or exciting. It uh, you end up having the the uh, death grip on the yoke when you don't need it and 
start over correcting or whatever. But uh, yeah, you're making wise choices and, and uh, it'll yeah, be I really, an exciting time. Thank you. Yeah, it's been interesting just managing the emotions like about going solo because <laughs> I, you know, when I started in August, I thought, okay, my birthday's in October. I'll, you know, maybe I'll try to solo for my birthday or something. And, you know, I'll have the whole thing wrapped up by, you know, February, March. That was <laughs> when I was young and foolish. Um, but as, you know, as the idea of, of soloing becomes more concrete, you kind of have to manage some of the the fears around that. And, you know, I'll start out, I guess, maybe I'll back up a little bit and talk about deciding to learn to fly. Um, and then, and then maybe catch you back up with that. Yeah. That's where I was actually headed towards uh, when, when, uh, when Mark asked this question, <laughs> I, was, I was wondering, so what, what kind of got you into it other than, well, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brad, right? So I've been flying with Brad since 2015. And, you know, early on, he introduced me, um, you know, to his to his hobby. (laughs) And I'm like, this is glamorous. This is super fun. (laughs) And he was very much like, hey, do you want to do you want to try it out? Do you want to take, you know, take the yoke, try some turns? I was like, no. Absolutely, I don't. I'm not a nervous passenger at all. I really enjoy traveling. We traveled cross country. We've done a lot together, and I'm, I really consider myself a fairly good passenger. But I just didn't want the responsibility at all of of taking on the plane. So for for many years, I said someday I'll, I'll do it because. It's safer, you know, by now, it's like when you live with a pilot, you hear about safety culture, you hear about crashes, you hear about what, all the things that people do, and you kind of have to acclimate mm. to that idea, um, which I was doing, and I was becoming more and more mindful of the fact that having two pilots is only safer than, I mean, it's it's safer than having one, right? And, and even taking the right seat training, which is the idea that you could just get it out of the sky, just didn't feel like enough that, that preventing an accident by having a couple of people involved in analyzing weather for cross country or, or thinking about the situation or even just looking for planes in the sky, it just felt like a good thing to do. But I wasn't sure when. And, and I told Brad, I'll, I'll just know when I know. And we were at Oshkosh last year, actually kind of, many an Oshkosh camper knows the scene where you're sitting around a fireplace chatting with people, <laughs> um, you know, for the first time they, that, you know, you've never met. And there was a lovely couple from Kansas city and we were, Brad was doing the plate thing and sort of asking, you know, her, the wife, what, you know, what plane she flies. And she did a very common reaction that you see there. And it's not the only reaction for sure, but a common reaction, which is, Oh, you know, I, I'd never, like, I just, he does all the flying. Mm-hmm. And I found myself kind of caught up in the, again, an Oshkosh feeling of, of encouragement, of wanting to say, hey, you know, you really could do it. Like, there are lots of women pilots here, and, you know, it's it seems really scary, but it's fun. And I thought, I'm saying these things, and I'm not <laughs> flying them to myself. <laughs> um, and And kind of slept on it that night and woke up the next day and we were walking around Oshkosh looking at the simulators and and the learning opportunities that they have there and I told Brad I think I think I'm ready 
So I really do credit Oshkosh and, and the sort of pilot community for all their positive reactions when people say that they're learning, that they want to learn. I think it's very infectious. Uh, it took me a long time to, to get there, but... Taking your own advice now. She was, she was resistant. I was. Very resistant I... to the infection. Now she's infected. <laughs> now I'm infected. But for me... Yeah, a lot of it really was just the responsibility of, of feeling like I needed to to really be able to do everything all at once, which is, of course, ridiculous. I mean, you have to fly with the CFI, and they, they only let you practice the things that you can learn when you're ready to, to learn them. But I would say the first 20 hours, I had visceral reactions before every lesson of just girding my loins to go and, and do it for no particularly logical reason. My, my CFI would try to piece it apart, and I'm like, no, I'm not afraid the plane's going to fall out of the sky. Yes, I understand how lift works, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a nervous passenger. But for whatever reason, for, for me, it was very, um, very much overcoming that initial fear of being responsible for it is the best that I can describe it. Um, but I think the first landing and, and probably a lot of people remember the feeling if they don't remember the specifics but the first time that you you feel responsible for the landing whether you're cfi assisted or coached or whatever um is really thrilling like it's really exhilarating heck yes even it is. more than taking off right like you yeah. think the takeoff i mean the takeoffs are fun but landing is way cooler and i think from that point on, it's been easier and easier for me. Um, so now I think I'm probably soloing much later than many people do, um, but I'm happy for that because I'm not, I'm not worried about it anymore. I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure I'll, I'm sure that I'll have nerves. I'm sure I'll have butterflies, <laughs> but I feel yeah. ready to do it. So, so Michelle, the, the one piece of advice I could give you or the one piece of, of um, encouragement, encouragement or personal experience. I remember I was when my instructor and we talked about this on the podcast forever ago, but uh, I remember that when my instructor said, oh, hey, we're going to land here. We were in the pattern, of course. And he goes, OK, go ahead and set it down here, pull into the in here and I'm going to jump out. And I remember as soon as he jumped out and we locked the door, it became I was no I was not afraid. It became business because now you I mean, it's all you. And and I remember that I, like my in my brain I switched gears. I was no longer that student in my mind. I was still a student, obviously, but I was no longer I'm like, I'm responsible for this. And it was no longer I wasn't afraid. And I remember taking off the first time. It was the plane literally jumped off the ground because there was, you know, 180 pounds or 160 pounds less in that right seat. Um, but I remember being, I remember being excited. So that's something for you to look forward to. I think the day that you do it, you're going to come back and you're going to go, it was amazing. So look, <laughs> look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, it could be Saturday, so it could, it may not, you. but it could be Saturday. Thank you. I think one of the advantages um, I found with like, you know, you're doing, you're doing pattern work in your first solo, you're not doing like a solo cross country first, right? So like, 
Right. It like it keeps you busy. Like you you have to be busy because there's just so many things, and it's so ingrained in you in that mm-hmm. point. Like there's just your body doesn't, your mind doesn't have time to even focus on anything once you take off. Yeah. When, when you think about it, though, yeah. you've also how many times have you been in the pattern? Uh, probably a hundred times already, oh right? It, it, it's just going to be I'm in the yeah. pattern. Okay, I, I know how to do this. Yeah. I haven't counted my patterns now. I kind of want to. I want to open up four flight and see how many times I've been in the pattern. But one thing that's maybe unique about Crystal uh, KMIC that we fly out of. Um, I guess Mike and Dia Charlie, sorry. I'm used to talking to non-pilots too. Um, is that there used to be two parallel runways. And so very often for the club Cherokee members, they would kind of have them do right pattern instead of left pattern um, for traffic separation. But also when you're coming back in, it's like closer to where the hangar is. So about 50% of the time I get right pattern uh, assigned and I think it's good I mean it's it's good to be obviously comfortable with the pattern in both directions but as a student I remember early on when they would switch to right after I'd gotten used to left <laughs> or vice versa I was really annoyed <laughs> so I don't I, I now feel like I'm gonna take whatever direction I got but I'm also like maybe I'll request left <laughs> I'm very first solo Heck yeah, might we'll as well see. go with what's most comfortable, if you can get it. Well, it's, yeah, and I am working to be comfortable in, in both, of course, but it's just a little bit easier to see. Of course, now I'm like, maybe if I don't have that CFI in the right seat, it'll be easier to see to the right. I don't know. Nope. Well, nope. there's that. Chad says nope. <laughs> see, um, but, you, but you're you're flying a uh, Cherokee or Archer or what? Yeah, Warrior is, Warrior. is usually okay. what I'm flying, but we have 151. Archers, so. All right, mm-hmm. cool. Well, hey, you got a low wing. At least when you turn, uh, uh, you know, turn in in the pattern, you get to see the runway every time. So you got that going for you. I do. Yeah. Not like yeah, these stu- I don't know stupid guys... Cessnas. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if you guys, if this is normal, but I feel like you develop a lot of affection for the trainer plane that you're learning in. They're like the yes. stable pony. It's mm-hmm. not the sexiest airplane. So, Michelle, I will tell you this. I got my license back in 2013, and I fly a lot of stuff, mostly Cirrus now. But the plane that I learned in uh, was, a, was a, a Piper Archer. And November 830 Mike. Um <laughs> If I can, if I can grab that plane, if it's available, because it's it's a heavy heavy use trainer. If if I can, I I literally have nostalgia when I get in that thing. I'm just like I love this little airplane, so mm-hmm. you'll you'll remember it forever. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. I also I also learned in an in an Archer three, so just a newer version of that basically. Um, and three five four Mike Alpha, yeah, it's it's nowhere in Arizona anymore. I I, f- I found it in Camarillo uh, at Camarillo Airport uh, one time when we were flying in for lunch with uh, with Bill um, fr- from San Diego. We flew, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's my airport or my airplane that I learned in, and it happened to be on on the ramp somewhere. <laughs> I was like, wow, I knew they sold it, had no idea where it went, and here I am now at the airport where it resides. Such a weird. Like you say, like like you saying, nostalgia, such a weird feeling. Yeah. So I've got a thing for low wing airplanes myself, but uh, I rent uh, I rent 172s now, and so now I now I, I learned to look at the compass and uh, make make 90 degree turn or uh, yeah 90 degree turns um, 
um, for, you know, for each part of the pattern. So <laughs> instead of instead of looking out the window, so it's not too bad. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I got all these people on the podcast now going, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I've wait, John. Do you actually remember how to how to fly? You know, (laughs) yikes! I I do burn. I remember most of it. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if you guys have podcast since we went to St. Martin. We did. We talked about the St. Martin trip, flying Um, high wings. That sounds like so. Brad talked about the rental. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I I got a turn. I mean, it was like 15 minutes, so um, it was it was eye-opening. Again, I feel very lucky to be learning with the club and the well-maintained planes that we have and, and this, you know, the CFIs that we have, but I climb into this plane with, you know, this French-speaking CFI. Yeah, and he, like, mostly just lists all the things that are broken. Half the panel <laughs> says in-op on it. Half the panels. No, no, they didn't even bother, no, didn't even bother that, pocketing no. it. It's just, don't look at that, that's broken. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, the directional gyro was just spinning constantly. <laughs> it was um, super distracting, by the way. Yeah, there was one functioning radio. I mean, it literally was like tomato flames. Wow. Like All of it, huh? It, everything. <laughs> yeah. Like, you had airspeed, altitude, and a wet compass. It was, it was essentially like a cub. Yeah, but with a lot more stuff in the panel, it just didn't work. Just didn't work. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. no nav of any kind. That no navigation. Great. Yeah. Don't don't get too far away from the uh, from the island. That's the the best advice right. there, I guess, huh? <laughs> well, and you wow. can't because their airspace is so restricted because it's half French island, half Dutch island. So yes. like, the airspace is also split. Um, so yeah, so I, I mean, I. All I did was was take off. I did a couple of right turns, a couple of left turns, flew it around, and, and you know brought it in, brought it in for the landing. So the whole the whole ride was fifteen minutes, but it was the first plane that wasn't you know an archer or warrior that I had ever flown, and it was so dramatically different, but the same. And I think both Brad and I were talking after. It's like the most powerful thing you learn is that learning how to fly. You know, my my trusted stable pony is learning how to fly. I mean, not any plane, but planes, and that it's transferable. And that was that was very cool takeaway. Plus, it's just a beautiful place to fly, and it's cool. Oh, for sure, cool island. Yes, but, but that's yes. the that's the only high wing experience I have is the fifteen minutes. And then he wouldn't even put it in my logbook for nostalgia. I was like, look, I just want. <laughs> record of it fine oh no i couldn't possibly i didn't have this plane this plane is not even legal to fly (laughs) right (laughs) we are not making no records of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. wow yeah it's um when i transitioned from the archer to the 172 the landings it it took me about a half a dozen of those to get comfortable with it just because you know the low wing you have that cushion of air so much lower to the ground than you do the 172. So, yeah, I, I never heard the stall horn once, uh, landing an, an archer, but, uh, now it's what I expect in a 172. Cause, uh, it's just, interesting. yeah, every time you got to hear it and then you know, you're right. Right. You're, you know, you're, you know, you're about to get there. And yeah, 
I got to be close now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found that with the surprise. Right. And then it drops in. Yeah. I've had one or two of those. <laughs> yeah. You get out and you're like, "Let me check those tires." Okay, good. No bald spots. That was uh that was my check ride. <laughs> <laughs> I thumped one on my check ride too. Um we had a guy when we had a a Cherokee 6 in the club. He was flying a bunch of World War II vets. Like a full full load, like five of them. Mm. And he he started the flare at like six feet. Like he just had a brain fart. And he he dropped it onto the onto the runway. And they're like, oh my gosh, was anybody hurt? And he's like, well, not really. And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> right? Because, you know, like there was damage. And he's oh. like, yeah, so the so the wing was bent. Oh. So he had to file a report. And then they they always ask. And he's like, yeah, so no. But a guy, one of the guys, he wanted to look at the damage to the wing. And he kind of bent over when we were on the ground. You know, he's outside. And, and he bent over to look underneath the wing. And he fell over. Oh, God. <laughs> and, he, and he hurt himself a little bit. But oh. Old man. Wasn't as... Oh. Wasn't as a result of the of the flight. It was it was kind of as a result of the flight. Like if he hadn't bent the airplane, it probably it wasn't the happen. pilot's fault. <laughs> Ouch! Wow. The pilot contributed. That's a funny story. <laughs> anyway, I live I live a little bit in terror now, though, of the dumb early pilot things. You know, we didn't somebody in the club <laughs> just. I don't know. They they flew it somewhere. I don't know. Ohio, they flew, Tennessee. They flew to Tennessee. They flew to Tennessee. And in in like an Archer, which is a long flight wow. from here. Yeah. And while it was on the ground in Podunk, Tennessee, um, they they did the engine start, and then they were getting themselves set up, and they re- realized something was in their flight bag that they needed, and the flight bag's in the back seat, and they turned around to get it, and feet came off of the brakes. And mm. they taxied it into a fence. Uh, and right? so full engine teardown in mm-hmm. the midst of supply chain yeah. disasters. Mm-hmm. So literally a week ago today, the plane came back. Yeah, that this was... This happened in September. Wow. September. So it's now uh-huh. June, you know, back half of June. And the, the plane is just now back online. Yeah. Wow, that's horrendous. Right? It's you know, it's it's scary as uh, as an airplane owner and just, you know, especially if you're one that uses your airplane for business and expect it to be available and ready to go, you know, each and every time you get to it except for when, you know, scheduled maintenance is scheduled, but then something happens and now you're in the mix to all that and yeah, that's Mm-hmm. It's a long time to be making payments on a plane you can't fly. Oh, that's got to be even the worst, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how's uh how's yeah, the book how's your book work coming? Where are you at on that? Oh, um, good. I actually passed my written exam right before we left on Christmas holiday, so that was a nice awesome. little Christmas present to myself. Yeah. There you go. Now, of course, I'm I'm worried that I'm forgetting things. So I bought one of those oral prep guides for the truck uh-huh. ride. Okay. And I have Brad quiz me on that from time to time. And it's really helpful. 
but um, yeah, I was happy to have that behind me. It was a lot. And, you know, between getting, like, really pushing to get all of that studying done and getting the, the written behind me, when I couldn't fly as much this winter, I think it really gave me good grounding, though, for, for the chair flying and some of the other just extracurricular reading. But it's a lot. Way more than I anticipated, I guess. It's like taking a couple of college classes. And yeah. I, uh, for me, I hated the weather part. I, I had the hardest yeah. time um, like keeping that in my head for whatever reason. I didn't like that. That was that. my favorite. You, you yeah, like that part? Hard. I didn't like it at all. I don't, I don't, I don't mind it. I mean, I think, I think I struggle with the stuff that isn't very practical for us here. That's harder for me to remember, you know, some of the things that are coastal related or you know, mountain related, but it's, it's not as bad as the navigation to me, like all of the, um, just I, the calculations related oh. to, to navigation were really strenuous. I'm like, four flights, great. I'm glad the written's <laughs> right. and I can just... Yeah. yeah. I say these days I feel like there's so many things. It's like, okay, like I can learn how to do it, but I'm gonna have like eight different backups of digital methods to do this far quicker than and and more reliable exactly. <laughs> than me and my E6B will ever be. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, so Michelle got to practice her comms a lot on our flight home from Arkansas. Oh fun. Um, it's true. Because the pilot side push to talk switch stuck open. <laughs> you had a um, hot no no you had a hot mic. We had a hot mic. We had a stuck mic, and so, of course so, this happens right at the end. So would you like just turn had, turn the radio comm switch from one to the other to make sure she wasn't transmitting the whole time or something or what? Well, it was my switch that stuck. Mm. So we'd flown for three hours and forty five minutes of a four hour flight and. I'm in the descent. I've got a lot of stuff going on. And all of a sudden I realize that my mic is stuck open. Like I can't hear ATC. I can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, great. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I switch the radio to an unused frequency so that at least it's not taking mm. out the whole ATC yeah. frequency. And I'm like, okay, the only thing I can really do now is I will, I will, uh, I'll switch my microphone to COM2, and then on COM1, I'll set it up for the frequency. I'll switch back to COM1, announce on the radio that I'm going to, that I've, that I've got a stuck mic and I'm dropping flight following and see you later, and mm-hmm. then switch back to COM2. And I, and I just switched back and forth with the mic from COM1 to COM2 on the way in. And that was okay, but it was a lot of work because you're every time you want to talk, you have to push a button on the audio panel and the mic, and or try mic. pushing the mic, because the, the mic was kind of fading in and out at this point. Sometimes it would stick and sometimes it wouldn't. So, and so we're so on Brad, the ground for three or four. Go ahead. So I was going to say, Brad, um, during our, uh, our air show that we have here every October-ish, um, our our uh, air boss advises all of the uh, air crews to unplug your headset and then plug it back in. Did you, did you try that? I'm just curious. I did not. He, he says um, that that will fix but, the stuck mic 90% of the time. Really? 
Yeah, wow. that's a good one. That's okay, a good I'll remember that one. Thank you. Um, what I came up with, though, when we were on the ground for three or four days, was I have a pilot in the right seat, and the right seat mic button works just fine. Probably <laughs> hardly ever gets used. So I was like, okay, Michelle, you're handling comms from the departure from our CTAF, you know, un- non-towered airport, to picking up flight following and all the handoffs to the approach controller and MSP and the tower. I, I just heard her heart start racing. <laughs> I think my words were, be prepared for some errors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do what? <laughs> well, no, she's a pre-solo student. Like She's there you been go. driving the microphone for a while in the, in the plane. Well, yeah, but I mean, it is different to do to do it cross country. But because I've been doing cross country for with Brad for several years now, it's not like it was completely foreign. It is very different to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those things that, like, wow, this sounds super easy, and yet as soon as you have to do it, I I feel like I lose forty IQ points, and suddenly I'm. <laughs> Like, now what do I say? (laughs) But I did okay. I mean, it was actually good kind of getting back to that opportunity to just be in charge of it and be okay with not being perfect, but, you know, practicing and and getting there. I do feel like it was a nice, it was a nice opportunity, and I'm glad we did it. Because, again, Brad's a very experienced pilot. He's been flying a long time. And so when we fly together, it is a little awkward to be the beginner like he has to be really patient (laughs) with my where i'm at and (laughs) um i think that flight as well as a couple others that we've taken have helped me understand that when i am actually a pilot when i'm when i'm fully able to be pilot in command we're probably going to have to negotiate a little bit What that means. Of whose PIC? Yeah, of whose PIC, yeah, and who needs to just be quiet and or, you know, take a task <laughs> when when assigned. So but in general I was happy because in the past I've done some of it on cross country. But then he's just so much smoother and faster. It's very easy for me to say, Oh no, you just you just finish the trip, hun. <laughs> so you know, I'll, I'll give you I'll hours. give you a little perspective for somebody who flies right seat semi often. A lot of times yeah. when we go inside anywhere outside 50 miles from our airport, I literally do all the radios while my, my buddies will fly the plane. And, and it works well nice. as, as, as a good cock, cockpit resource management. So yeah. That's good. True. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably a good divide for us, too, because I won't be able to fly the complex you know, planes that we take for cross country for quite some time, but being able to contribute in a meaningful way is helpful. Yeah. And, and one other experience that we've had, uh, together is we flew together, but I, I was in the right seat. Um, and Michelle was driving and that was, was super interesting for me because I've never flown from the wrong seat before. Um, and I was technically PIC uh, because Michelle's a pre-solo student, and um, and I had it was your first takeoff that you had oh, ever yeah, executed. Yeah, 
That was and really early on. That was right pretty after early on. We got started with that, mm-hmm. and and we've done it a few times, probably three or four times now, mm-hmm. where I sat, I would sit in the right seat of the warrior or one of the archers, and have Michelle do it. And it's it's super interesting to go from I'm I'm PIC and I'm running everything to now I'm PIC, so I'm responsible, solely responsible for the safe outcome of the flight. But I've got uh, somebody else with hands on the controls, mm-hmm. and that was very eye-opening for me. It was just like, wow, I have to, I have to not just think about what to do. I have to think about what to do, and then make sure that it happens. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really, really a brain twist. It like completely. I was surprised at how much it got me out of my zone. Mm-hmm. And we've not done that a, a lot. No. Because, yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously, the more competent that I've gotten, the easier it is to, to do that. But in general, I think it'll be, it'll just be better when I'm actually fully prepared. To it'll, yeah, it'll get better and better. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll work through the PIC issues and who's doing what and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, it, it's just been that as a pilot, it's been interesting finally finding myself in the right seat Mm -hmm. and being responsible for everything that happens, but not doing it, um, was a real twist. It was like CFI light. (laughs) (laughs) So Michelle, with all the hours that you have, um, do you want to talk about some of the stuff that you've worked on that that some of the things that have challenged you some of the things that you look forward to yeah i mean i think a couple of lessons i guess stand out and and for most people ground reference maneuvers are are kind of fun and i found that to be true as well and i flew i flew a couple of ground reference maneuvers during a particularly windy time uh this winter uh, I mean, w- windy for me. I think we were ha- we had gusts, you know, up to up to thirty. But you know, it was like a thirty knot wind anyway. So you know, gust factor was probably around six. But just overall windy day, and we went out and did ground reference maneuvers, and it really built my confidence for actually kind of kind of bank much more confidently now since then. Um, so that was a real learning lesson for me. Up to that point, I'd been really scared of those windy numbers, but my CFI talked me into it. He's like, let's just go up and see how it is. And then once you get up and you're kind of focused on maneuvering the plane and really learning when I do this, it does that, and how long it takes to respond in certain conditions, like that was a huge confidence boost. So that was, that was a really fun lesson. Um, that said, crossman landings are still tricky. <laughs> I still have to talk through. I, I found verbalizing some of the things, like like back to the very beginning when I was first learning to taxi and I was like, drive with my feet. I literally had to say that out loud during that and then take off <laughs> procedures so that I wasn't trying to steer with the yoke. Um, and I, I've had a couple of other times when I have to, to remind myself, like... You know, this, it's a crosswind landing, like this is the leg you're going to be using and, you know. So I found, I found during, actually after I got my certificate, uh, crosswind landings helped me 
establish my personal uh, maximums, if you will. Uh, my my my. Yeah. If I would get anything above like a fifteen knot crosswind, I was like, okay, I'm not comfortable with this. I have an alternate airport yeah. or a, a different runway. But but it, I think those are good to help you establish what your personal minimums are, uh, where you feel safe and you feel in control. So that that that's good that you had that opportunity to 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 do that. Yeah, I I agree, and I think. I, I haven't quite settled on the on the numbers yet. Obviously, I'll have to get pretty close here pretty soon um, for crosswind in particular. But I agree. I think there are certain risks that you take when you have it out in the right seat, you know, when you have a CFI. But I'm much more conservative on my own, even though it built my confidence. I think it's uh, it's just I want it to stay fun. I can remember on uh, some of my... Uh solo cross countries and solo flights coming back to the airport and the winds were a little bit higher than what uh, I was real happy about, you know, but uh, I just said to myself, well, if it looks good, I land. If I don't, I go around and try again. And, uh, and you know, it worked out on the first try. Luckily, everything went well and it wasn't as bad as my mind was letting me think it was, you know, just uh, went back yeah. to my training. And that I don't, I don't know how many BFRs I've been through with my instructor where we end up finding the the windiest runway in all of Phoenix to go do landings at or whatever, and uh, we've writ we have rewritten the max demonstrated crosswind component of a 172. I don't know how many times, somewhere in the neighborhood of 23 knots. Um, so it's uh, you feel really comfortable, you know, doing that type of stuff with your instructor there. How comfortable I'd be a be at that today, even though I've done it with him there, without him there, even though I'm the one fully at the controls, I know he's always there to help correct in case I'm, you know, thinks I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm out of lines one way or another. But, uh, but it does help boost the confidence when you do have some windy uh, crosswind days to go grab an instructor who's happy to do that with you and, and, and just let you go feel what that's like. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I certainly, I mean, I think, I recommend it. I don't know if it needs to be like the first lesson, but for me, it came, you know, after 20 hours in and it was perfect. Mm -hmm. But I have a question for you guys. So I'm now starting to work toward the cross country, right? And we've, we're, we're working on some of those skills, which includes flying to, to airports that you don't know as well, or coming back to your home airport from a, maybe an unfamiliar direction. And what I've been learning is how different, like I can spot the airport when I'm at, at 3,500 feet, and then as I'm descending to pattern, it's it, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's disappeared in the trees. I'm like suddenly, like, where is it? Obviously, that mm. probably varies region from region, but just I was surprised at how different things look at different altitudes and kind of what are the tricks for not losing it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe that's just practice, but... It, it, I'll, I'll just say from my perspective, it comes with time, but I had the exact same thing happen. Um, several of the, the airports that, that my instructor would either fly with me to, he'd say, I have airport in sight. And I'm looking around going, uh, I don't know what you're looking at, but I see trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see a building, you know, and he's like, it, but it, it happened to be here in California. It's in the foothills. So it's. You know they're in a in kind of a, a a weird location and and but but after a while, 
you'll get used to it. Um, the fact that you have uh, an iPad with ForeFlight on it really, really helps. You just trust the fact that you're yeah. still following that little magenta line to that direction and you're hopefully talking to somebody and I, I, you, you'll do fine. It gets better over time. Um, the more hours you accrue, you're going to go, oh, I see it. I got it. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah don't stress <laughs> over it. Just uh, it'll it'll come with time. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, is you always have the auto just flying over the field, right? Like, just just keep it high and fly over and just make sure, like, oh, yeah, okay, I see it. Like, you don't, you know, um, and even if it's a towered airport, it should be like, you know, if <laughs> you yeah. know, they're asking me to come in straight in, because I would get that a lot where I'd get straight in. You know, I knew where the airport was because I was flying out of there all the time, but I could totally see, like, I, I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> and just being like, I, I don't have it in sight. Like, I'm just, can yeah. I fly over or something? You know, like, I mean, there's there's always options there. Like, you don't have to commit to coming in and, and trying to land until you, you have it and you're, you know, 100% of where you are. So, okay, you know, that's, that's the nice good. thing about being in control. It's like, you know, if you're not comfortable, then, you know, there's always, you know, some other options mm-hmm. you can kind of go with there. Because um, I had the same problem. At night, I had an issue where I was flying to an airport. I knew the airport. But at night, everything was so different. I couldn't find it. I couldn't see the beacon because it was right on the edge of a uh, a city, and so there was like no lights, and then a ton of lights, and I just I could not find it. I was um, about to say the nighttime's easiest because you got all the lights telling you where it's at. Yeah, but sometimes the the beacon just blends in, right? All the same color lights going in the same direction, type of thing. <laughs> and if it's a non-terrorist airport, then you can just click your mic a whole bunch of times and turn the lights on and off all you want. <laughs> and sometimes though that green is not quite green enough compared to the white <laughs> yeah it looks yeah i agree totally That's, yeah we i, I even had, I, uh, go ahead um the the extended centerline feature in four flight is mm. a godsend especially going to an unfamiliar airport at night where you're just like which one of these is one four and which one of these is you know uh one one or you know or, or one zero mm-hmm. or two ten or whatever. Yeah, it was it it was so nice having the extended center line, and I'm like, I know if I just fly over to where this one two is written on there, like that's yeah. the right runway. And when they're they're narrow cross crossing runways at night, it it's really tough to tell, and and you can back it up with looking at the directional gyro and all that. But it the extended center line has saved my bacon a couple times. Yeah, four flight really does make. So- so much of this safer honestly like there's so many things it has that can just help you avoid common issues <laughs> and it's getting better yeah. with every release yes is that is that fun is that a function of uh, all versions or or one of the upgrades that's every version has it really yeah. for some reason i thought it was like the next level up from the base mod base that would version, be but... charts goes into pro and stuff like that but i mean i mean yeah, you may not I think it's like the progressive taxi stuff um, is like the upgraded versions will actually plot you on like the taxi diagrams. But uh-huh. yeah, the, the georeference nice. plates is an upgrade. I got nice. the performance version recently and that has actually paid for itself already. Huh? Fuel savings. Oh yeah. Uh, because it can tell you here is the best altitude to fly at. And since I got it and it does all of the math for me, I tend to fly a lot higher um, because it's like, it's calculating what my true airspeed is going to be, what the wind is at every possible altitude. And then what my fuel burn and uh, my fuel burn and and ground speed are going to be. 
nice. uh, and takeoff distance and landing distance. Like it does all of the math for me and I check it, but it's really nice having all of that stuff laid out. Like in Arkansas, we were 40 pounds below maximum gross takeoff weight in Saratoga with, with four of us on board and luggage. We came back with, with one more human than we went down with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I picked up a nephew and, and brought him back uh, here to the Twin Cities. And it was 96 degrees when we took off. And uh, I knew how much runway we were going to use. And I watched, and it was very, very close to the actual number. Within a, a couple hundred feet, we had thousands of feet to spare. But I, it was really nice having the machine do some of the takeoff calculations so that I knew I wasn't screwing up those crazy performance charts in the POH. Um, but the, the flying at the right altitude and getting the, the optimum speed was able to pay for the, the upgraded cost. Yeah. Just in fuel alone. That's a great idea. Nice. I I'm, I'm due. Uh, my, uh, my and I have an Android tablet and it uh, I, I use iFly GPS on it, but it's it's due. But I I have an iPad um, also, and I've been thinking about moving over to it. It's just it's one of those things where you know how you're so comfortable inside of a certain app, finding stuff, moving yep. around or whatever. But it's 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 more of an excuse than anything. A lot of it's fairly intuitive, so it's just a matter of figuring out the smaller and uh, idiosyncrasies about one. I, I specifically bought an iPad Mini just for four flight and flying. I use yeah. it for many other things, but but that was my my number one reason for buying it. And and I I, I did, did I don't regret that purchase at all. Same. Yeah, I even have one of the little external uh, GPSs that connects to it, so I'm ready to go. Other than just paying for the subscription, so got to make it a decision soon because i'm about ready to go back up and fly here pretty soon even though i'm dreading uh the new cost involved but uh so i need to get one here pretty soon yeah michelle you went with a mini too right mm-hmm. yeah yeah i bought the mini same just for flying because I, I i sit i'm not very tall so i sit very close to the yoke and so having the full-size ipad was just too big that's what brad flies with. and i can't i I found the RAM mounts to be kind of annoying, the ones with the suction cup button. So I got one of the, the RAM mounts that attaches to the yoke, and the Mini just fits perfect. Oh, yeah. Right there in front but of But I'm there. not fluent. Yeah, I'm not fluent in, in ForeFlight yet. I still feel like it's, um, it's a very complex app to me, but I'm getting better. I mean, thankfully for VFR flying, like you can kind of trim it down to just some basic stuff that you actually need, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and the stuff that's helpful, like the center lines and just being able to plot the line and then tap and see frequencies and stuff. Like as long as you can get the bare minimum, like the rest of it, you can just kind of like either play with on the ground or kind of ignore it at some point. Cause there's so many things in there. I'm like, I, I have no use for this. Like I'm not an instrument pilot. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I just need some generic things. I do, you know, I use like the checklist feature to some degree um, and stuff like that. But I I do. I love because it, it, I feel like I miss stuff on paper charts. I need to see the check. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So to me, getting the feedback of like, I've done this and visually seeing like, yes, I have and being able to scan it. Like it makes me feel like so much better about the fact that like I've hit everything. So, so one of the big yeah. the big things that, that I was taught early on, because my uh, instructor is a former F-15 pilot, uh, 
um, it's always this is the way that they work in the military is do then verify. So run your run your mm-hmm. all of your pre flight and your checks and everything. Then go through the checklist again just to make sure that you you hit all, all, everything. So that that's the flow that I've learned to do. And and it in with four flight and the checklist, it's it's awesome. I don't have to worry about did I bring the card or is the card in the plane? So mm-hmm. it, it, it's a nice feature to have. I'm just I'm just getting to that stage right now where I can do and then and then verify. But I'm still using like these, you know, printed out paper sheets that are getting quite worn. And I but I did create all of those checklists in Forflight. I actually found just transcribing them helped me remember them and learn them early on, but I haven't really switched to using the iPad as my verify yet. But I'd like to. I, I I don't know whether I can make that switch before the check ride or whether that'll come later. But um, I'm interested to hear you guys and how you do it. I, I think if you uh, when you get to the check ride portion, if if you do the flow from memory, mm-hmm. and then you show the you show that the the DPE that okay now I'm gonna grab the card and I'm just gonna verify that I hit everything. That's gonna give them a level of confidence that hey okay. She knows what she's doing. She's prepared. She's done this enough that that okay, I can take a deep breath and know that she's in, she's a good PIC potentially. So good, yeah. It's a good flow to work from. So before we get too far off, um, the last thing that I had asked you was: Is there anything that you're looking forward to, knowing that we have Osh coming up in a month? Um, is there anything that you're looking forward to in the in the near future in your training? Oh gosh. I mean, I'm looking forward to Saturday solo for sure. I mean, if, if, if that turns out, I think it's, it's going to be great to hit that milestone. Um, but I think in terms of, of learning, mm, I don't know if I'm really look. I, I haven't done the goggle exercise yet. Um, I think I'm kind of looking forward to experiencing some of those things just to have the experience. But probably looking forward to most would be when I can do a solo cross country. I, I think for me that's going to be a really cool day. <laughs> it's exciting and boring all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've done a lot of cross countries that were just like that. You know, um, it's really a cool way to travel, but it's also a lot of okay. Yeah, still flying for, over Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> Iowa still looks the same. <laughs> we got to make a jokes about having to pee and having and being hungry mm-hmm. uh, on the flight down to Arkansas because we were three and three and a half hours into the flight and everybody's mm-hmm. like trying to okay. not think about needing to pee. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't say anything else. I mean, I'm just looking forward to feeling more competent. You know. I think that's probably true for a lot of early pilots. I think once you do your solo, you're gonna you're gonna gain a little bit of confidence, or you're gonna gain a lot of confidence. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, I think once you do that, and then you start going towards more advanced uh, maneuvers, if you will, more a little bit more advanced training. I think you'll see you're gonna see that you're gonna move forward pretty quick after you solo. I think so too. Actually, I, I have that intuition about it. Again, I'm probably soloing a little later, you know, after more hours than maybe some. Um, although it, it seems like in talking to the CFIs that they're getting more and more 
um, so that they're encouraging students to kind of put off soloing until they're they're a little further along. So I, I don't even know what's typical any anymore. It's a, it's a it it honestly from and I have several friends that are CFIs. I, I think it's a uh, it depends on the student. Uh, it depends on the instructor. The 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 not the level of confidence or the comfort, but I think it just depends on the student, um, how prepared you are, how comfortable you are. And I think the, and the airport and airspace that you're absolutely, absolutely. That's a big one. Um, if you're comfortable in controlled airspace and that's a big step for a lot of people, um, then, then I think you, you'll, you'll be good. Um, you know, when we started this, um, we 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 started this. Beca- I kind of I kind of noticed these other guys on Twitter at the time, all posting about flying, uh, or or you know that were student pilots just like I was, and it seemed like we were all just about ready to uh, solo. And so I think that's when I brought up doing doing a podcast, and that's kind of how this thing whole, whole thing got started. But the interesting thing was is that I was flying out of a towered airport, but not just a towered airport, like the busiest GA airport in the country at the time. And um, and then I think, uh, uh, Mark, were you flying out of a non-towered airport? Yep, yep. The the yeah. two the two fields that I train at are are, are uncontrolled, so. It, right. it, it was completely different, and then we had uh, John, who was on the other on the other coast. That was you and, had to talk to somebody. Yeah, and on top of that, then I I was just doing like I had a a private instructor, and we were just going at whatever pace. And then John, I think you had you were I, I forget what what part it was called or whatever, but you were on a syllabus type of instruction. I was not. I was you on weren't? 61. Okay, Mark, you were yeah. in a syllabus? Uh, yes. Well, kind of, yeah. it, but it was a, it was a structured flight school, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we were all kind of doing it a little bit differently, and I was frustrated at myself because some people were getting to, to solo at 10 hours because that was allowed by their instructor and uh, the flight school or whatever it was. And my instructor wouldn't let me fly, wouldn't solo, wouldn't let me solo until I was at 20 hours because supposedly that was the minimum because it was Deer Valley and the airspace was busy and yada, yada, yada. And I don't, I don't, uh, I don't feel bad about that now after the fact, just because there's a lot going on. And, you know, when you are by yourself and responsible for it all, it's nice to feel super comfortable um, in whatever situation that is. So I'm fine that it took longer uh, at that time. So and so it was just kind of interesting how different place to either the airspace or the plane that you're flying or whatever it is, you know, there, there's these, there's these kind of rules in place for a reason and it's to keep you safe. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think if I, without pulling up my logbook, I think I was like 12 to 15 hours. Um, I, I thought it was longer than I needed to be, but but then at looking back, I'm glad my instructor helped me to when I when I did do it. But um, it, it and I think Michelle, in your in your position that you're at a, a towered field, um, I think it's probably a a it may be a minimum number, but uh, um, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, I don't know. I I fully uh, fully own that. I think being an older an older student, you know, I'm not in my 20s, so I probably would have learned faster in my 20s, but I think I, I definitely have better judgment now. Um, so I, I kind of own that I just might be one of those students that, you know, just wasn't ready to solo early. I definitely feel better now than I would have even 
I mean, I, I, I feel like I've been ready to solo since about February, and it's just been timing that's kind of held it off. Um, that's been my own, like my own assessment of how I'm doing. Um, so are you, are you guys flying into Oshness here? Probably not. No. Um, I've not actually flown even as a passenger into Osh, Oshkosh, but it's so much easier for us to car camp. I, I mean, it's, it's not that far. Yeah. I don't know, Brad, do you have comments? So Michelle, here's no pressure, but the very first time that I flew into Oshkosh was with Brad. Oh. <laughs> and I've got to leave Oshkosh with Brad. <laughs> nice. Straight into I'm the soup. You're still talking to me. Yeah, right? Straight into the soup <laughs> on the rainiest Oshkosh Sunday afternoon ever, man. This thing was ridiculous. Wow. I, I, I think the last three times that I've flown out of Osh, it's been just the same exact way. You fly in through about a about a thousand to two thousand foot layer of garbage and then you're up and above it and then it's crystal clear after that. Mm. But um yeah, I was just curious if you guys were gonna fly in. I'm like, okay, who's in the left seat, who's in the right seat? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well it it would yeah. Well student operations are prohibited. So Right. <laughs> so so honestly, my, my my I'm leading up to is like when you get your certificate, you get your license, uh-huh. I'm curious who's yeah. who's gonna be left seat, who's gonna be right seat on a regular occasion. So am I. I want Michelle to be in the right seat because I want her building time to be able to fly the bigger equipment. There you, you go. Mean the, in the left seat. In the left you seat. mean the left, yeah. left seat. Yeah. I want her yeah. PIC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there, so at your, at your school, you were mentioning, of course, they've got the more complex and high performance aircraft. Um, what is, what's your school's rules for moving up to the next one? Since you're going to be a student there, can you go right away and say, okay, now I want to get checked out in the whatever, or do you need X amount of hours? Mm-hmm. The, you can get checked out whenever you want. You can fly it when you have 250 hours for the arrow and 500 hours for the Saratoga. Gotcha. Okay. But that's insurance, right? That's just insurance. That's an insurance requirement. Yep. I mean, because we're a club, so it's not like a formal school. Yep. Um, yeah, and they, um, it used to be a lot lower, but the insurance changed a year or two ago and got kind of crazy. Um, but the Dakota, I mean, we could fly to Oshkosh in the Dakota. Easily, yeah. And that... What would I need to be Just a high to? performance. I just need high performance yep. for that. Okay. And sh- you could do that during your student time, but mm-hmm. I, I'm busy. There's not, yeah, you're, you're busy. You don't need one extra knob to pull mm-hmm. uh, and, and, a, and a heavier yeah. right foot. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, pass the check ride, and anytime you're ready, you can get the high performance. You, there's nothing stopping you. If, we could easily. I flew to Oshkosh the first time with Aiden in the in one of the archers, uh, in nine four six one Charlie. Oh yeah. Okay. And um, so maybe twenty twenty three. Yeah. Would be me. You can join the zoo. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't. There's no way that I'll get through everything by the end of July this year. So. Maybe. See, and I've, I've just stopped even predicting anymore because I started out with like, oh, I'm, it'll probably be this. And now I'm just like, it'll be when it'll be, you know? <laughs> but maybe I'll know when my truck ride will be by the end of July. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, uh, another small piece of advice. Don't be in a hurry. Do, do it when you're ready. Don't, yeah. don't do it because you feel pressure to do it. 
That is such good advice, I think. And I think I see a lot of other students because a lot of a lot of people join our club to learn because it's such a it's such a good deal. You know, they they come in and learn. So there's a number of other like I have a little cohort of, of members. We're always buying for the reservation times. We have thirty thirty people on the wait list right now. Thirty people on the wait list for the club. But I don't wow. know how many are active students right now. I mean it's probably a dozen. Um, that are that are learning you know, like I'm learning for the first time, not getting an instrument or, or anything like that. Um, but they, you know, you can tell, like all students start out with like, how much is it going to cost me? How many hours is it going to take? You know, when are my milestones going to come? And I, I learned to let all of them go. There you go. It's, it's going to cost a lot. It's going to take however long it takes. The milestones will happen. Yep. Like just it, trust it the process. It varies by student period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. And it's, I'm, Commit to the lifestyle, you know. There you <laughs> go. That, that's like a great piece of advice. Graduating, right yeah, but it's it's always good to hear it validated. Having flown with a couple different instructors, have you found have you found them to be uh, similar uh, in their instruction style because they're teaching in the same planes out of the same airport, blah blah blah, or you're like, wow, well, he was teaching me to do it this way, and you want me to do it this way. How about that? Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. So I've really only flown with the, with other than the French CFI, so we'll just leave him out, but the two CFIs <laughs> at the club, um, the biggest difference is the one who's way more experienced. He's been a CFI for a long time. I don't know how long Craig's been a CFI, but he's got, he's got seven, 8,000 hours of dual. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So he his approach to teaching, like he has a lot more games that he plays with you, like exercises, things that he can take you up and just see what you're working on. And, and it's a, it's a little more fun. The, the CFI and I, and I very much like my CFI, Phil, um, he's doing a great job, but he's a little newer and tends to be a little bit more bookish and sends me a lot of reading material and talks like the first 10 lessons we had we probably talked as much as we flew and so that that's taken a little adjustment so there's definitely stylistic differences um and yes there are different tips so i think overall the more cfis you can come in contact with the better and i'm definitely planning before the check ride to to fly with two other cfis in the club that i haven't flown with if i can just to pick up added tips. So um, no, normally when you're yeah. doing stage checks, that that's kind of a, a standard protocol. Oh, is it? Oh, it's not just a strategy I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's a really good one. Having been, been bounced around CFIs, um, you know, I, I mean, I had a couple that like left or something happened and I ended up with another CFI and um, there was so many different things you'd pick up from each one and you kind of like mm -hmm. meld it all together, right? Into like your own style kind of in the end, which was super awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and even just yeah, flying well, with pilots after that, yeah. I found it's like every pilot I fly with, it's like, oh, okay, I didn't think about that. That's a new way to, to look at it. Exactly. Well, even flying with Brad, it's like we found a couple things where, you know, he was taught one way and I was, I was taught another, or I'm working on learning another way. And we've had a little bit of that back and forth. And, and, and in the airplane is not the time to have that debate. It's true. Um, I've, I've quickly just was like, do whatever your CFI told you. Like, right. don't listen to me. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh -huh. Like adding to your confusion and your 
stress level right now is not the right time. Yeah. And that's probably also a reason why we haven't flown together all that much. I mean, considering I've done, you know, I've been studying since, uh, since August, every cross country, obviously Brad's PIC and you know, it's, it, there's, that's been a little bit more of the way we were used to traveling. I mean, with the comms on the Arkansas trip being the one exception, um, because I'm just still so malleable. <laughs> Everything that people are telling me, I'm trying to absorb and bring and figure out my own way. But I'm like, as that hardens up a little bit, I'm sure I'll be. She'll be throwing elbows. It's fine. I will. I'll be like, this is how I do it. Stop. <laughs> So, so, so Michelle, here's the one piece of advice that I give all student pilots, whether you're new or or been flying for a while. Um, I, I learned this early on from a, a guy that got his license probably eight years before me. That I, he was a podcaster, and he's he definitely pod faded. But um, get I, I had a digital recorder and a microphone, mm-hmm. and I actually got a, a Y cable that I could plug it into, so it picked up all the audio within the cockpit and a kit picked up ATC when we were talking to them. Um, I, I learned fast that I only picked up probably 20% if that of what my instructor was telling me. So when I was able to listen to it later and chair fly, um, I, I was like, I clearly did not hear him say that, or I was so focused on just flying the plane that, that I missed everything. Right. I don't remember ATCs telling me to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the one piece that uh, my daughter's actually talking about. Uh, my youngest uh, is talking about uh, going to get her certificate um, and I'm giving her all these pieces of advice. And uh, so that just literally came up. But uh, if, if you're not doing that and maybe you're retaining a lot of it now with it often as you're flying, uh, but if you're not, maybe maybe throw that in there because uh, it's 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 huge when you go back and listen to the flight and go, oh, you 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 tend to retain more that way, maybe. Um, no, you're right. It's great advice, and Brad gave me that advice early on. And for I guess I guess we just never worked out the technical, you know, mm-hmm. steps that I need to because I th- I think I can record through your headset. Um, yeah. I need to start doing that. I, I think it's never, it's not too late. I think I would have learned more efficiently early on. I, I, think, I think it's a great tip. I think Chris actually just put the, did, wasn't it you, Chris, that you just put the microphone in your headset? Yeah. Uh, I video recorded the majority of my flight training. Um, oh, video was, put, was, was putting them up on YouTube for a while, but I had like a little, you know, a little handheld voice recorder with a lapel mic and I just popped the lapel mic into my ear cup and it picked up everything. Oh. That's the that's the low tech solution. (laughs) You could do that. You could totally do that by just getting a lapel mic that would connect to your um, phone and just turn on your um, audio recorder. Yeah, take an AirPod and just stick one in the cup. And yep, that's like the minimum. Or if you can get a Y cable, you could probably plug that into like a Lightning, you know, adapter. Yep, and and just pipe it into your phone or whatever, or get a dedicated recorder. I had a dedicated recorder, but. It stopped working after a while, and I stopped fiddling with it. So, I'd probably yeah. just do my iPhone these days if I could. Easy peasy. Yeah, I think I think I might try to figure that out for tomorrow's lesson because I, I I do think looking back that it's astounding how much your brain is just working so hard, and I just think the memory uh, goes first. 
I swear sometimes I'd be taxing back and I'm like, I don't even remember the first half of the pattern that I just did. Um, <laughs> it's such a visceral experience, I guess, flying. I have never been more mentally tired than after a flight. Like, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's getting better. I, I think the first perception that it's getting better is when things start slowing down, you know? When suddenly the takeoff is like, well, this is actually taking quite a while. <laughs> Absolutely. That, 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 that's a good marker for yourself to know that, okay, I'm comfortable with this now. Uh-huh. Let's move on. <laughs> yep. When things slow down, you, your brain can actually think about things and look around. Yeah, no, it's... it's when you it's a, when, it's a when you're doing your steep turns and the first time that you go through your own wake turbulence and wonder what that is and your inst- and your instructor's all excited because you flew basically a perfect uh, 45 <laughs> steep turn or whatever and you hit your own then now that becomes the benchmark for every one of those that you do right you're upset oh, when it yeah. doesn't happen yes yeah it's true I don't know my CFI is really obsessed on stalls that's he just always wants to take me out and do stalls all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> never. There's never a lesson that goes by without a stall or two. And, and in a warrior, that's just a non-event that it's not even fun. Yeah. That was my thing. I was always like, "This is. Is did it stall yet? Did it stall yet?" And they're like, "Push the mm-hmm. nose down." I'm like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> We're just mushing to the ground. Yeah. You know? With, it's not wanting to turn left or right. It's just. We're 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 going to the ground just in kind of a flat, mushy state. Yeah. yeah. And you still do them in your flight reviews. Yep. Yeah. Slow flight what are is those? the best, though. You like that? <laughs> What's a flight review? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Slow flight's really fun. It's just relaxing. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Well, I hope, and I'll speak for the rest of us, I hope that you do get to do your solo on Saturday. Um, if you do, best of luck, and uh, you, you, you've you got Let this. us know. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know, and and hey, you know what? Maybe we'll do another podcast just for your solo before we <laughs> before we hit off. So, yeah. If not, if not we'll talk you. about it there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to mention that I I did go back. This was probably in October, shortly after I started my lessons. I did go back and listen to some of your early podcasts, and they totally hold up. I just want you oh. to know. <laughs> that's good to know. I listen to quite a few podcasts flight. from people. So, so flight training is still flight training. You're saying, huh? It is, and they I still think do it the, the same way. <laughs> yep, yep. And when you're new to the experience, you still want to hear about other people's experiences. So, thank you for sharing and creating all of that content. And still relevant. Appreciate it. Sounds like I should do that then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go back and listen. It's, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been five years. Gosh, mm-hmm. uh, why does it seem like it hasn't been? But you, you would know. But I know uh, I have. I yeah, crazy. Because <laughs> Owen just turned six, so it was about he was about a year old when I have when the last time I flew. I've been in a plane since then, but not as um, PIC. PIC. Right, right. Well, um, we're getting on. We're getting on in this. Uh, podcast a little deep now but uh i wanted to bring up just a couple things real quick um i am you, you mentioned of insurance a little while ago uh, with with moving on to the more complex aircraft in your in your fleet there but uh 
so I'm I'm on the hunt for an aircraft myself to be an aircraft owner, and uh, I look literally literally every day. Um, and of course, you know, just like everything else, uh, during the pandemic, the cost of aircraft have went up for some stupid reason. So, um, but I think things are leveling off now. It seems like the planes that have been put up for sale are now sitting longer than they were before. So that's a good thing. That's going to make prices come back down, I think, to reality. Um, I get a little, a little upset about the armchair people on Facebook telling other people that their plane ain't worth what it is. But, you know, I've sold a lot of things in my lifetime, and it's really difficult to negotiate up. It's a lot easier to negotiate down. So I don't care what you ask for your airplane. Um, the only people that's going to be bothered by uh, talking to you about it are buyers. So, you know, you know, if, if they're a real buyer, then we can talk about negotiating the price. But anyways, um, you brought up insurance earlier. So I hit up our good friend, Victoria Newville uh, at AirPros about some insurance quotes because I was wondering, you know, can I afford insurance on these planes that I'm looking at? Turns out I can't. <laughs> oh. So I've redirected myself on what I'm going to look at for, for aircraft. But so like um, I told I told Victoria, basically I, I would, what I'd like to get is, you know, like a like a, a Bonanza S35 or a, or a Comanche 260. I wanted something for seats, decent, useful load and can do about 200 miles an hour. Well, so she sent me back some examples of uh, of uh policies they had written recently on similar aircraft with people similar time or whatever and so she goes here's some bonanza examples here was a hundred and ten thousand dollar bonanza with a student pilot uh, and a private pilot but no instrument rating any guesses on the yearly hundred and ten thousand dollar haul yeah eight yeah eighty two hundred bucks yeah yeah $200,000 Bonanza with a non-instrument rated private pilot, but no retract time, 7100 annually. And she says that uh, for whatever reason, the insurance companies aren't real fond of Comanches for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe because parts are getting harder to find. I don't know. Um, here we go. An instrument pilot with 300 hours of retract and an $80,000 value, $1,900 annually. That's reasonable. Yeah, get the instrument. You know, um, an instrument rated pilot with 20 hours of retract and an $88,000 hull, 6700 annually. I'm like, huh? Yeah. So that's the 300 it, it hours of retract, right? First year. Yeah. You got, yeah. Just go put the hours on it, knock it out, and then, I, I don't know, maybe that's part of the deal. Is That's the, the price to play is that you're going to get bit that first year. Uh, until you get a bunch of hours under your belt in type in 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 type right you know so um uh so she, she so she's given me some other things so i've kind of landed on i asked her about an arrow and she goes oh yeah much more much more doable much more affordable so i'm going to i'm going to throw this into our our little chat here but i found a uh, a 1981 Piper Turbo Aero 4. That's the T-tail. And, um, and here's the things that was sexy to it about uh, for me. It's got factory air conditioning. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Why do you need that? 
that works. And the second sexy thing about it, the engine is 30 hours since major overhaul. So it's got practically go. a new engine in it. It's got air conditioning that works. It's got a GTN 650. Um, but uh, speaking of other crazy cool uh, uh, avionics in it, it's got the old uh, badass King KR86 ADF. Woo. So we got that going for it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm re- I was really looking for something that had really – someone spent too much money uh, on their panel because I don't really – want to spend the money on the panel because I know that's where the that's where you're going to lose the money at on an airplane real fast. I mean, you're never getting back half of the money you put into it because half of it's the installation cost anyway. So, so, but I was really digging that AC thing about this. So it's a little bit more than what I had kind of expected. It's priced at 145, and I was kind of looking at about 125. I actually reached out to AOPA, went through the process, and I've, I've been pre-approved for 125000 on my own, but I expect to have three partners. I'm, I'm trying to, I want to, I don't want to solo on an airplane. I don't, uh, I don't make that kind of money. I don't want that kind of responsibility um, for the maintenance and all that. Um, and so, from chit-chatting back and forth with a few different people on Facebook, I met up with a guy uh, uh, last week and had a couple of uh, beverages, uh, and we talked about it a little bit. and And he's down. He's a he's. I've only got like 250 hours, and and he's been a pilot for like 20 years, and he's got less hours than I do. But he's starting to get back into it more. But he's he's driving all the way from uh cave creek where he lives uh to chandler which is a good hour and a half drive for him to go fly a cub (laughs) and so it's the only place in town where you can go run a cub but he's really he really likes that kind of flying mostly but he needs he wants something that he can throw his family in and go to colorado or whatever so that's what we're talking about so i've got one interested party i've got a whole bunch of homework done um you know, I'm just kind of hoping the market kind of starts correcting a little bit and we can go from there. I've got down payment money ready to go. I know what the uh, I know what the approval process is like for for getting the loan, but I don't want to as much as I would like to be the one who makes the one and final and only decision on which aircraft I'm a partner in by just buying it myself and going to grab the partners. I think the smarter thing is to probably at, start, probably at least start with one other guy to go that route. And being that this guy's an attorney, I was like, you know, could you write up the LLC for making the partnership and this and that? He goes, oh, yeah, I have did three of those this week. So uh, we can knock that out. So that could come in handy. We'll see. It's funny. It, at Oshkosh, uh when you first get there, you know, you know that board outside the, um, uh, the 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 boards that are outside the uh, um, what is that the store the main the main Osh- or the swag store where they sell everything. Everybody puts up their flyers for all the different aircraft and everything that they got for sale. So I'm sure I'll peruse that two or three times uh, during the week while we're there. Yeah, it's a nuts market. And probably go and visit several people of different aircraft and maybe even talk to them about pros and cons, what they love, what they don't love, stuff like that. So I can get a little more real world realist. Yeah. All the type clubs are there. So Piper is there with their, uh, I'm a member of the the Piper owners association. Um, 
Viking, the Blanca folks are there with the yeah. Viking owners and Cirrus, of course, and Cessna and all those yeah. folks have meetings and you can get to know people and find, you know, where can I get training or where can I uh, get type specific training um, on the aircraft like COPA, the Cirrus Owner Pilots Association has their whole, or now Cirrus yeah. has their whole training thing. So and the, the Bonanza group. A lot of great, yeah, a lot of American Bonanza Society has a great program. Yeah. Um, a lot of great stuff that you can meet right there at Oshkosh. Yeah, it's a good resource for that for sure. So, so speaking of Osh, when when's everybody getting there? I'm not getting there until uh, Monday afternoon. Flying in Allegiant to Appleton, of course. Tuesday afternoon. Keith and I get in on the 24th. That's Sunday, I believe. Sunday, yeah. We do the mass arrival. The, yeah, the serious yep, mass yep, arrival. That's right. And uh, and then, how about you guys, Brad? TBD. Uh, oh. We're still figuring it out. Yeah. Okay. Could be Saturday. Could be could, Sunday. Could be Saturday or Sunday, yeah. Okay. Abe will probably drive down separate. <laughs> yeah, he's at that age now. He's at that age. So he's talking about driving down. He wants to make Jambalaya night. There you go. Heck yeah. Is, is he going to uh, um, be a part of, uh, what you call it? The, the Flying Circus? No, no, no. The... <laughs> Um, Civil Air Patrol. Civil Air oh, Patrol. Civil there you Air go. Patrol. Yeah. yeah. Not, gonna... uh, not this. Not this year. Uh, okay. He's not gonna. Not looking to do it uh, this year. He's he's backed off of CAP a little bit. Okay. Um, but he's now just talking about getting back in in kind of a low key way. So gotcha. we'll see. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, I still got to sort out. Uh, who I can uh, bunk with, with, uh, uh, and I, I was actually going to uh, hit you up, uh, um, um, Mark. Uh, and do you guys have any more space at the house, or, or no? I would have to find out. We okay. we might because Keith Keith's brother's not coming this year, so okay, um, that's possible. Then, so I don't know. I you know we all heard that uh, Larry and Mary Beth aren't coming this year, so we uh, we have a. We have a, a fill-in Lord Mayor uh, this year, and so um, we'll see what area we get. That's still up in the air. Who knows, right? It's a big wild card. Yeah. So I, <laughs> yeah. I would like to be back closer because having oh, Ellen no with me, kidding. the shorter walk would be much nicer. <laughs> Dude. Dude. It's Granted, a lot easier this... to carry when you have to carry them back from the night air show. Uh, Oof. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to all that stuff, so... Yeah, even if we were forward more, but maybe more left or right or whatever. But yeah, that was a haul. So we'll see about that. Yeah, you guys should bring bikes and, uh, and you know strollers and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There you go. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for having me on, you guys, and look forward Our to pleasure. seeing you soon. Yes, yes, yes. Well, with that, I think we should uh, pretty much uh, um, pack it up and, and call it a call it a podcast i would like to uh um thank everybody and i'd also like to just uh quickly uh i lost my train of thought it happens when you get older you know i remember what i was going to say i wanted to uh dedicate this episode to uh glenn towler uh he will yes. be oh, yes. sorely missed and uh 
one of our Oshkosh long long living long time Oshkosh buddies, um, and uh, I'm uh, happy you know that we were able to uh, get him a brick and uh, a plaque and all that, and just to, to let his memory live on there because uh, he was a great guy. I'm very very sorry to hear hear of his passing. Yeah, to Glenn. Yeah. We will all raise a pint to Glenn when we get back there. Bye. All right. With that, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode. Just a reminder, uh, you can reach all of us at podcastinthepatternpodcast.com, and we're on Twitter's In The Pattern, or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash inthepatternpodcast. Um, we have show notes for this episode and all other episodes. can be found on our website, inthepatternpodcast.com. Um, definitely send any suggestions, comments, critiques, or if you want to um, hit us up, hang out at Osh, uh, definitely do that because we're looking forward to seeing everybody. Um, so with that, we'll wrap up episode 82 of the End the Pattern podcast. I'd like to thank y'all for listening. Remember, make left traffic. You're cleared for the option.